Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the time to order holiday cards for family and friends. Only this year, why not create custom holiday photo cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique Christmas cards and other designs to choose from. All you do is upload your family photos, personalize the text, and you're done. Simplytoimpress.com prints your cards on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days and rushes them straight to your door. Maybe that's why the New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite photo card service. They even offer foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs for your business, too. Place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. Okay, it's Josh Radner. Thanks for uh, thanks for booking this, and thanks for your great questions. Kobe, the same question a few weeks ago. Now I want to put you on the spot. What did you think of the series finale? What did you think when you got that final script? Uh, my thoughts on the finale of How I Met Your Mother. Um, I generally don't speak about it on the record anymore because every time I would speak about it, it would become like a <clears throat> international news story. Um, I like the finale. I mean, I really like the longer version we did. Uh, they had to edit it a lot for uh, for broadcast, but I thought I thought the the original script was really quite wonderful, and I think it'll age well. You know, like I think. I think people were saddened by it because people don't like death and they don't like to be sad. They prefer to be angry. But I think there's something mature and um, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to hear how people respond in like 10 or 20 years if they've had some time to think about it. You know, I was reading an article about you saying that the more successful at How I Met Your Mother got in the early years and the early seasons, the more depressed you became. And I always like asking people how they kind of balance uh, their happiness from a personal scale and a business scale. Uh, what do you think uh, you do on a daily basis that kind of blocks out that negativity? What do you do on a daily basis that helps you uh, battle with that negativity? I said that, yeah, the more successful the show got, the more depressed I became. Um, how do I adapt to negativity on a daily basis? Well, I certainly don't feel that negativity right now. I, I, I'm in a good space. I, I really am enjoying life in this moment, even though it's a tough moment in the world. But um, I... Um, I gave a talk in India a couple years ago. Uh, it's an ink talk. You can just Google my name, ink talk, and you'll see um, how I uh, how I learned to deal with um, with uh, with with you know how hard that was for me. Anyway, um, I, I won't be able to say any more here that you wouldn't be able to hear in there. So I mean, I find it very interesting to know that you kind of felt more badly about it and good the more successful the show got because nobody really talks about uh, the negativity the negatives of success or, or the detriments of success in that sense i think it's an absolutely essential and underreported phenomenon do you know what i mean like it it 
if you ask someone, you know, did success solve all your problems? Did money solve all your problems? Like most of them would be like, nah. Or it brought on a whole lot of other problems. I've sometimes thought about that, like if I just showed up at Sundance with Happy Thank You More Please and no one knew me, I think they'd be like, cool film. <laughs> or, you know, this really pissed me off, but when we won the Audience Award, the New York Times re um, reported it as the sitcom-style comedy. And I was like, screw you, that's not a sitcom. You know, I, there's no world in which How I Met Your Mother um, doesn't factor in mightily to what I do to my life. In that, every move is on some level a response to it. So for instance, when, when the show was done, if I got offered, you know, single guy in the city looking for love, like I wouldn't do that. It's like I thoroughly explored it, no need to do that. But when Civil War surgeon comes along, I'm like, yeah, I wanna do that. Or um, I guess my, my GPS is not so much Oh, I gotta, because if I think too much about what other people are thinking about me, it's very paralyzing. And um, you can't help but do some of it because you do, you, you know, you want people to like what you do, you want to be believable and all this stuff. But the, the truer part of me that I really try to tap into, much like with the, the pilot I was offered before Rise, is, um, you know, what, where's the joy live? I had a meditation teacher years ago who said, follow the charm. You know, like, what is charming to you? And I really like that term because it's not like follow your bliss, which can get a little, you know, um, woo-woo. It's, it's like, what is charming to you? It's a very subtle thing. Like, oh, I kind of, you know, I want a donut now. I'm going to go. And you meet someone at the donut shop. And, but um, anyway, thanks so much for booking this. And I hope you're well. Thanks for the great questions. Talk soon. Bye. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. So let's start this review off with the true story behind Ford v. Ferrari. Of course, it was the feud that created America's greatest race car, a part of the Ford Motor Company. It all started with a business deal gone bad, you might say. So in 1963, a long-ass time ago, Henry Ford II, who is referred to as the Deuce, Henry Ford, of course, the founder and creator of Ford Motor Company, Henry Ford II taking over, uh, the Deuce, he decided that he wanted Ford Motor Company to go racing. The only problem, though, Ford didn't have a sports car in its portfolio. So the quickest way uh, to acquire a sports car, the Deuce thought in his own mind, was to buy Ferrari or to think like Ferrari. As you see that throughout uh, many times in that film, they want to think like Ferrari. Uh, then a race car company that only sold street legal machines to fund it, uh, uh, to fund its track exploits. So Ford sent an, an envy to uh, Italy to hash out a deal with Enzo Ferrari. Uh, the Americans offered $10 million, but as the negotiations neared their conclusion, uh, Ferrari balked at, at the last minute because there was a clause in the contract that said that Ford would control the budget and thus all the, the decision makings for his race team, which he was like, hell no, this is 
his mind. This is the, the Ferrari's mind, man. Ferrari, uh, known otherwise as El Commodore, um, he couldn't really stomach the surrender of his business, so he bailed, uh, sending Henry Ford II uh, a message. Uh, the deuce he didn't often hear. There was something that his money couldn't buy. I think in the film they even say, you're not Henry Ford, you're Henry Ford II, which it was the thing that got under his skin that prompted him to uh, go ahead with the, the motor racing uh, to begin with. So in lieu of the sale, uh, Henry Ford decided to direct his company's cash and engineering toward petty revenge, as he would. He uh, decreed Ford would start its own race team with the singular goal, of course, beating Ferrari in uh, the world's most prestigious race at the time. It still might be the most prestigious race in NASCAR, which is the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And I can't speak for everybody back in 1966, but a lot of reporters out there, a lot of people back in the day, a lot of NASCAR fans, they all say these two guys were larger than life. Uh, here you have arguably the most famous and powerful CEO in America in Henry Ford II up against Enzo Ferrari, the most narcissistic man to walk the earth, but deservedly so because he was a genius. He owns Ferrari. Uh, you couldn't write it better. And you could also uh, check out the book uh, entitled Go Like Hell, Ford, Ferrari, and Their Battle for Speed and Glory at Le Mans uh, by A.J. Bain, which uh, I just quoted there off of popularmechanics.com, an article that he wrote. And the clash of these uh, titanic egos, again, Ford and Ferrari, would eventually propel Ford to design, again, America's greatest race car, which was the GT40, which was an unstable engineering mashup of California hot rod ethos and high-speed NASCAR expertise. The GT40 failed to finish in Le Mans in 1964 and 1965. However, bull testing innovations and never-before-seen brake strategy had them primed for 1966, which is uh, prime time. It's why they made the movie 1966. Uh, Le Mans, Italy is when uh, Ken Miles won it all, or so you thought. You got to see the movie because he doesn't win. You'll see why. But weeks before the start at Le Mans, Henry Ford II handed race program boss Leo Beeb at the time a handwritten note, you better win. And when uh, Henry Ford says that, you better, you better win. And to touch up more on the GT40, it was the 1966 version of the GT40 Mark II, which is a more comfortable car than you might expect. It doesn't really look that comfortable when you see it on screen. It was designed for long-distance driving, of course. Again, 24-hour race. The, the seat uh, is soft and ventilated. Forward visibility is excellent. Somehow there's plenty of interior room, considering the tiny exterior dimensions of the car. If Le Mans uh, circa 19. 66 amounted to uh, a huge 3,000 mile road trip. This seems like the car you'd want to do it in, but uh, the, mo the moment you fire up the, the mid-mounted, I think it's a 40, uh, 427 cubic inch V8, you're reminded that this is a race car, and I think they said that in the movie, capable of modern race car speed more than 200 miles per hour. That's fast if you're counting at home. 
in uh, 1960s analog form. So no power steering, no power brakes, and you see that, unfortunately, a few times throughout the movie as well. No electronic safety systems. Uh, 100 miles per hour in third gear feels like you're in a sidecar trapped to the space shuttle and you're not even halfway to, uh, to the top speed. Uh, the guys who ran these things down the, the Molzane straight at 210 miles per hour at night on uh, 1960 spec tires after driving for four hours straight must have been some pretty brave people or crazy people for that matter or a heady mixture of both. Now, a newer version of the car was used in Ford v. Ferrari. It wasn't the original. I think it was the, the Superformance GT40 Mark II, which is a continuation car, a street-legal recreation of the car that won in 1966 in Le Mans, Italy. Uh, and I think it was the GT40 MK2 that was used in the film Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, and it's magnificent, a beautiful-looking car. And like both the 2005-2006 Ford GT and the current GT model that was released, I think, two years ago in 2017, the Superformance owes its existence to that long-ago battle of egos between, again, the two stubborn industrialists, uh, Henry Ford II and then, of course, Enzo Ferrari. Uh, the 1966 GT40 MK2 feels... It, it feels like such a fully realized race machine. It's hard to believe it started out as a half-baked effort that was not only uncompetitive, but very dangerous. Again, they really couldn't figure out the brakes through the first two tests, and you see that in the movie. Uh, very sad ending to the movie. Again, spoilers, watch out. If you don't want to listen to it, don't listen. At the same time, I need to listen, so listen. It might seem like a, uh, uh, just to reiterate, it might seem like a foregone conclusion that Henry Ford, an international car building colossus at the height of its powers in the 1960s, could crush a small independent company like Enzo Ferrari's Ferrari on the racetrack, but that was far from uh, a, a given. Ferrari was meant to race in NASCAR out on the racetrack, and as countless car companies have learned, money doesn't directly translate to victory, and Matt Damon quotes that in the movie. And Preston Lerner, author of Ford GT, How Ford Silenced the Critics Humbled Ferrari and Conquered Le Mans, uh, quoted saying that they spent a lot of money, but that was no guarantee you'd win a race. And then, like I just said, Matt Damon says it a few times to Ford Motor Company's marketing team throughout this film when they're getting the deal done to go up against Ferrari. Ford also had to bring in the right people to win. They had to have the mechanics, the, the race organization people, the people that were passionate about racing, the drivers. It, it couldn't have been a glorious failure. And in 1964 and 65, it was. So Ford's new car was... Uh, was fast, but they couldn't figure out how to make it last for 24 hours because, again, Le Mans the big race. You want to beat uh, Enzo Ferrari. Gearboxes broke, head gaskets blew, the aerodynamics of the car were a complete mess, total disaster, with cars developing so much lift that they would uh, have a wheel spin at 200 miles per hour, which is not safe if you're in the in the motor vehicle. So after two aerodynamically unstable GT40s crashed during testing in 1964, one test driver actually quit. Uh, his name was Roy Salvadori. He, he said, and I quote, I opted out of that program to save my life. That goes to show you how bad these brakes were, and the brakes were a constant problem. Ford engineers uh, calculated that when a driver hit the brakes at the end of Le Mans uh, Mulsing Straight, that uh, the front brake rotors would actually spike to 1,500 degrees. That's 
1,500 degrees Fahrenheit within just a few seconds, causing the, the rotator to, to fail. Uh, so trying to slow a 3,000-pound car from 210 miles per hour every three and a half minutes for 24 hours straight was, was a, a difficult problem. Definitely a, a, a speed bump was a new problem in racing. Uh, and a learner also says that uh, Dan Gurney told him that everything that he did driving that car was about saving the brakes. And at the end of the Mulsane straight, he'd back off well before the brake zone and coast down. He, was, he wasn't he was even scrubbing 180 miles per hour all at once. Uh, he won Le Mans on brakes. And that's in large part due because of Phil Remington, who was an engineer on the Ford team. He devised a quick change brake system that allowed the mechanics to swap in new pads and rotators uh, during a, a driver change, meaning drivers didn't have to worry about making the brakes last beyond their stint, which is very nice for a, a race car driver. Other teams cried, uh, uh, cried foul about the GT40's pit stop advantage. And again, to no avail, it's in the rule book. It wasn't against the rules. They say that throughout the movie uh they complained that it was breaking the rules but there were no rules and that wasn't the only area where ford was pushing boundaries uh to ensure their engines could survive Le Mans, ford ran them on a uh, diameter operated by a program that simulated performance and durability they they logged the rpm and shift points of a, of a lap around Le Mans, and they had computer controlled server actuators drive a, a, a test uh, test engine in exactly the same way in a lab, even simulating pit stops with periodic shutdowns. And the engineers would run a, an engine until it exploded, examine what went wrong, and fix it during the next uh, iteration, which is insane, because those are just cars, those are parts just being blown up. And uh, eventually, when the engineers could make, a, again, that 427 cubic inch V8 last for almost back-to-back uh, -back Le Mans simulations, they decided their design was hardy enough and in 1966 it turned out that it actually was with bruce mclaren and chris amon's number two car leading a dramatic one two three ford victory at le mans in le mans italy with ken miles getting the win except he doesn't i think so again he doesn't pick up the win even though he was way ahead of everybody else i think he lapped everybody four times he had the uh i think he was quoting in his son the perfect lap i think it was the perfect lap and he was up again like four three or four laps he en ends up slowing down for ford because they want him to slow down so that they could have that victory picture of all three ford cars finishing the race and it turns out by a technicality i think bruce mclaren ends up picking up the win because he crossed the line first which was utter bs in the minds of everybody again ford and matt damon and christian bale teaming up for this but Ford are the bad guys. Christian Bale and Matt Damon were the good guys. Uh, but McLaren ends up picking the, up the win in real life. Again, it was McLaren, Eamon, and NASCAR Hall of Famer Ken Miles. Uh, but the next year, Ford returned to France and won again. So with repeat wins in hand, the, the Deuce's ego, Assange, and again, the Deuce, Ford, uh, Henry Ford II, excuse me, uh, his ego, 
blasphemy. It, it, it got bigger. They withdrew uh, official Le Mans factory support after the 1976 race, which they also won. Still won in 1968 and 69 with uh, privately owned GT40s claiming victory over each, over, over each other. And over the span of a few years, Ford had actually unveiled the Mustang, uh, which they won at Le Mans, and vanquished its uh, fuddy-duddy image, which was pretty bad. If you want to take a look at the pictures online, Google Images, check it out. Some of the GT40's engineering lessons might have translated to Ford streetcars, particularly the, the computer-driven durability testing. But Ford considered that Le Mans program and uh, a marketing exercise rather than a quest for innovation manufacturers were actually still willing to spend big on international uh, race programs. Uh, During Audi's recent reign of dominance in Le Mans, the the company actually spent about $250 million per year. Per year, $250 million on its race team, and Ferrari reportedly spent around $500 million each year on its Formula One program. It's hard to say that if those massive budgets translate to car sales, but most Audi customers probably haven't heard of the R18 e-tron Quattro, the last Audi to win in Le Mans. Uh, Racing is still a big part to brands like Ferrari, but mainstream companies like uh, Audi and Toyota struggle to justify the high price tag. And it's estimated uh, that Ford spent around $25 million or more on their way to victory at Le Mans, and they even burned a million dollars in 1968 before withdrawing financial support from the race program. So there's that to think about. And the GT40 itself was obsolete by 1970. Again, Ford had hasn't had an overall victory at Le Mans since 1969, but the car story continued. I think it was in 2005 Ford released the newest version, the modern reincarnation of the GT40, which was the Ford GT. Uh, I think it was a retro-styled homage to, again, the greatest American endurance racer ever built in 1966. It was and still is. Very popular in that model, built for only two years, can now be sold for more than double its original price, more than its original MSRP, because in 2017, Ford went even bigger, unveiling the current generation Ford GT, which was priced about uh, $500,000, half a million dollars per se, so you need the big bucks if you want to go snatch that one up, cop that car. It's a sheer bedroom poster fantasy car, uh, a machine that looks like it drove straight out of the winner's circle at the Circuit de la Sarthe. And in 2016, 50 years after its first win, Ford won the GT Class at Le Mans with a new car, beating who else but Enzo's uh, company, Ferrari, by a mere 10 seconds. Very close, not as close as it was, or more more close than it was in 1966, by just 10 seconds. And uh, the Ford GT40 story encompasses all of these larger-than-life characters, again, Enzo, uh, Shelby, Henry Ford II. But the car is a, is a character of itself, too. It's larger than life. That's why we're still talking about it 53 years later on this podcast, on episode 119. So with that being said, the history of the car, the, the real story behind Ford v. Ferrari, let's get into the actual acting, the actual storytelling in this 2019 film. Again, the 2019 version of Ford v. Ferrari, starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale has the potential to be the film of the year. It might win an Oscar 
Oscar for Film of the Year. Overall, again, this one was directed by James Mangold. And I kind of want to jump around here. I want to jump to the very end, which was probably the most shocking part of the entire film. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari actually has a surprise ending for those not familiar with the history. That's an absolute standout in this one, and it pays a big dividend here for Christian Bale's portrayal of Ken uh, Miles. So let's get in to the uh, surprise ending for Ford v. Ferrari. But first, of course, a quick word from our handy-dandy sponsor. I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh! Okay, so let's talk about this surprise ending in Ford v. Ferrari. Again, a warning for all you listeners out there. Spoilers are in play here. Fair game. If you haven't seen the film yet, you might want to drive away until you've caught it for yourself. Throughout the year, uh, it's said that director James Mangold's racing film Ford v. Ferrari has been sold to audiences as a so-called lighthearted historical biopic of uh, Carol Shelby, of course, played by Matt Damon, and Ken Miles, played by Christian Bale. Uh, their historic quest to win uh, the only American victory at, at the 24-hour Le Mans racing event in Italy. But as it turns out, there's a couple of surprises in store for those not familiar with the history behind the story of this film, the story that it tells, and it makes it for one heck of a standout ending, let me tell you. So again, for those of you who haven't seen it, go check out the trailer or the movie in theaters before you listen to the rest of this, uh, but now feel prepared to relive the heartbreak of Ford v. Ferrari's final act if you have watched it, and again, as the last third of the film finds itself on a pretty unusual footing when compared to what the audience would expect from such a a big marketing campaign, and while 90% of Mangold's film is, is again, the rip-roaring tribute to Guts, Glory, and Automotive Genius, uh, Carol Shelby and Ken Miles' Lamont's story wasn't one of the ultimate successes, and while all three racers running Ford cars in the 1966 event uh, placed in first all at the same time, first, second, and third. Miles was told by the top brass in his racing team to slow down again so that the trio of Ford race cars could cross the finish line at the exact same time. And while the first place finish looked like it belonged to Christian Bale's lovable hard uh, heart chase, again, he, he was ahead by like four or five laps. Uh, it, it turns out a technicality put him in second, like I said earlier. And Terrell Shelby, also deceived by his boss, at Ford, uh, takes this news just as well as Miles does. He goes bananas, goes to banana lands. It doesn't take long for Damon and Bale's historical racing buddies to move past this betrayal and get back to building the next car. Again, they're really good friends in the movie, uh, so they they were pissed off at first, but at the same time, like, all right, buddy, let's go. Off into, the, off into the sunset, we got another car to build for the next race. And they've already set their sights on the 1967 Le Mans with Ken Miles swearing that they'll get them next year. And thanking Shelby for uh, fulfilling his promise of, quote-unquote, the drive. He let him drive because throughout the movie, uh, 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 Ken Miles and Ford don't see eye-to-eye. Ken Miles is a Chevy guy. Again, Ford, Chevy, Chevy, Ford, that big rivalry. But Ken Miles did not get along with the upper brass and Henry Ford II. And it actually took uh, Matt Damon's character, Shelby, to actually take 
the big boss man, Henry Ford, on a drive to the point where he's like, man, I wish my father was alive to see me ride this car. And he's like, yeah, you need to put Ken Miles in the front seat or else we're not doing this thing. And and it's at this moment, at that history, at that point in time in Ford v. Ferrari, that it takes the most unexpected turn yet at the end of the movie after the race in Le Mans in 1966. Unfortunately for Ken Miles, both the man himself and Christian Bale's dramatized interpretation he wouldn't make it into the 1967 Le Mans race the following year. So when testing their newly redesigned Ford race car, Miles, again, uh, earlier on in the movie, he suffered uh, another brake failure, and the car blew up with him inside it, and you you thought he was dead, but he actually made it out alive. He was fine. He immediately jumped up. He's like, yeah, the the brakes aren't working because he was always trying to fix stuff. But this time around, he suffered another brake failure at the end of the movie, testing out the car for the 1967 race which causes the again the fatal crash that would claim his life he dies at the end of the movie which is so sad because throughout the movie you didn't think anything like that was going to happen and again if you don't know the story you wouldn't know that it was going to happen so it claims his life just two months after he ran the race at the center of ford uh ford v ferrari's biggest race of the movie so just when you think you're you're settling into the ending of a sports history story that ultimately redeems the human spirit you're hit with the the epitome of an emotional gut punch that sees a friend and a father losing his life to the very sport that he excelled at and the interesting thing is while it's a definitely a, a downer moment a debbie downer moment for most it doesn't derail the film that came before it so throughout ford v ferrari uh we see an undercurrent of emotion running through the life of christian bale's ken miles whether it's bonding with his son uh, uh conversations with his wife or even his time with carol shelby and the, the the race crew over at ford the temperamental race legend maintains his humanity in humorous and touching moments of display throughout the film and in turn, this approach to the story actually heightens the stakes of the 66 Le Mans struggles that both Christian Bale and Matt Damon's characters went through. So instead of focusing on the race, Ford v. Ferrari actually focused on the people that took part in its execution, uh, where this movie that merely focused on the race as its audience expected it to, the film would have ended with title cards that describe Ken Miles' death and Carol Shelby's perseverance in his memory. And rather than uh, relegate the very very human existence, the very human story intertwined with this narrative to, to a simple text on a screen. The storytellers at the head of Ford v. Ferrari let audiences latch onto historical figures as likable characters, shared by their triumphs and setbacks throughout all their glory, and eventually landing an ending that only hurts so much due to the fact that you actually got to love these characters for who they were. And historical biopics are only as good as their portrayals of the people that lived those events with most films of the genre favoring more restrained formalic executions 4v ferrari made the history telling uh, fun to watch actually through characters again who felt more like living human beings than mere landmarks in sporting records and the fact that the film shows ken miles bravely uh, lose to le mans race bravely again he finished in second after dominating he kicked ass the entire time against ferrari and his own drivers and then his uh, untimely death at the end a very sad scene his untimely death chasing a future victory just instills 
in the audience the message that nothing's ever promised in life, and sometimes history ends abruptly with no clean or happy ending, especially for Ken Miles. Throughout the entire movie, it was him against the machine, rage against the machine, and he just ultimately did not end up winning, even though he should have won. He got screwed, and then he doesn't get his big rematch. But Ford v. Ferrari, again, is in theaters now and is sure to make audiences laugh across the nation as well as cry. Again, that final scene as they take this beautiful ride in racing history if you've already seen it you know what's coming so if you happen to see it again with friends and family be sure to bring enough tissues for everybody again i have to admit even i uh, almost shed a tear i didn't quite shed a tear almost shed a tear through this uh, movie ford v ferrari and like i said at the beginning of the episode tracy letts who plays henry ford the second he dominated in every scene that he was in. Ford v. Ferrari, again, stars two Oscar winners, Matt Damon and Christian Bale, who, again, exceptionally good as two racing rebels fighting the corporate mindset in the midst of, again, Ford Motor Company's quest to win at the 24 Hours of Le Mans race, trying to beat Ferrari. Uh, it, it makes it even more impressive that Tracy Letts, who has that big supporting role as Henry Ford II, uh, again, the ultimate 1960s CEO, the fact that he just dominated in every scene that he was in. He was imposing, inflexible, he was blunt, uh, mesmerizing as Ford was Letts. He rails about getting it in the tailpipe from Chevy Impala and orders uh, uh, Carol Shelby uh, to, to go to war against Ferrari. He's like, I'm your boss, you listen to me, now go to war. Uh, when rising uh, uh, young executive, uh, Lee Iacocca, who's played by a younger version of John Bernthal, uh, initially urged uh, Ford to take on European racing. And he said, James Bond does not drive a Ford, sir, because Ford was going out of business. He, he told everybody to go home. And he's like, if anybody has an idea, you'll stay. But the rest of you just go home like a bunch of sissies. And uh, his response to James Bond does not drive a Ford, uh, sir, was that's because he's a he's a he's a degenerate. Uh, uh, that's how he retorted to the man dubbed Hank the Deuce. But at the end of the day, again, don't be surprised if Let's becomes a favorite on Oscar prediction lists. Uh, award site Gold Derby has praised his performance in Ford v. Ferrari, noting that it's the kind of uh, supporting role Oscars were made for, a transformative, scene-stealing portrait of a real historical figure. And again, he's 54 years old, already has nabbed some top honors. The actor and playwright won a Pulitzer Prize for uh, writing August Osage County and a Tony for his performance in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He's probably best known to moviegoers out there as the dad in Lady Bird and a newspaper executive in The Post. When he was asked about the movie, he actually said, he's like, I, I, I get asked to play a lot of guys in suits and actually credited the strength of the screenplay of Ford v. Ferrari. And moments like Ford's weeping meltdown after riding in the G40 race car, like I said, with Matt Damon, uh, when he was trying to convince him to let uh, Christian Bale's character ride the car, uh, that was the reason he wanted to do the movie. And I quote, he says, by all accounts, Henry Ford II was a larger-than-life figure, 
but also a guy who feels the weight of his legacy. The idea that his name is Henry Ford, all of those things, it's his name on the car. He deals with pressures, and the, res and the rest of us can only imagine what that pressure feels like. And the real Henry Ford II, who died in 1987, I think he was 70 years old, uh, was a titan of the industry who uh, presided over great successes for the company and notable failures, including the flop at the Etzel. Uh, let's prepare for the part by reading a few books. He, he checked out uh, old clips of Ford at news conferences and watched a documentary uh, commissioned by Henry Ford. Uh, and, and again, another quote from him saying, so much of what I needed to know in order to play the part was on was on the page. He said, we didn't see the need to try to do a Henry Ford II impersonation. He's not Johnny Cash or Elvis or something where you have to be too far off. It would be disorienting to the audience. Uh, he credited the meticulously researched sets and wardrobe. Uh, Ford's office is a, a mammoth wood-paneled space with an elaborate cocktail bar, very Mad Men-esque, with uh, helping him transform into the deuce. And I get another quote saying, we weren't acting with green screens. The cars were very real. Everything was very real. The first thing I shot was in that office. I put on my suit and I got uh, I got the haircut. I walked on the set and saw that office and said, my work is done. I can just sit here and be the most powerful person in the room. And again, in real life, Ford was very proud of his uh, epic push for the Le Mans victory at the GT40 that made it possible. In 1966, before the first Ford victory, he told Sports Illustrated that uh, advances spurred by the development of that race car had been incorporated into passenger vehicles and trucks that would continue to be. And again, he said, we call our GT cars laboratories on wheels. That's what he bragged about. And yet it was a long, hard road to victory with some devastating setbacks. Again, we mentioned Let's captured that uh, wonderfully in a scene where the deuce sits silent and immobile uh, opposite an empty chair waiting to hear a disappointing update from Matt Damon's Shelby. Uh, the iconic race car designer who joined the GT40 project at the end of the day. Again, he was working for Henry Ford, and he sat down next to Ford instead of choosing uh, the hot seat, and Ford keeps staring on flinchingly ahead and uh, let's uh, said that he and Damon just happened to choose those spots in the first rehearsal but it seemed like an interesting way to play it instead of the guy uh, glowering behind a desk and filming was done in California so let's didn't spend time in Detroit or visit Vort's uh, uh, Ford sprawling campus before the movie uh, does he think the automotive company would invite him inside its headquarters he said I would hope so I mean he plays uh, Henry Ford in the movie. He's ultimately the most powerful man in motorsports today. And at the Hollywood premiere, Let's actually got an indication that he might be let in the door. He met a few of Ford's descendants before the screening in what he described as a pleasant encounter. Among those attending was William Clay Ford Jr., executive chairman of Ford Motor Companies. And another quote from him saying, I have to say, they were very good sports about all of it. Uh, said Let's, who mischievously again clarified that he didn't talk to them after the screening.
But at the end of the day, Let's playing a huge role in this movie alongside Matt Damon and, of course, Christian Bale, who might win Best Supporting Actor uh, at the Oscars this year for his performance as uh, Ken Miles in this film. Again, very sad ending if you haven't seen it yet. Possible movie of the year contender. Uh, every, a lot of people are saying, a lot of the critics are saying that it, it might be the movie of the year over Joker and The Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Avengers Endgame, came out terminator came out uh then the the new shining movie uh, uh dr sleep just came out a ton of great movies in 2019 a ton more to come to unhidden gems or uncut gems adam sandler's new movie coming out uh ad astro with brad pitt came out a few months ago uh it's literally the year of the movie like i can't go back and, and look at maybe like 10 years ago it's been almost 10 years since it's been year of the film like so many great movies in 2019 if i were to give it to one i'd give it to the irishman i thought the irishman uh again three and a half hours long they had a lot of story to tell i think that was the movie of the year by far i don't think it's once upon a time in hollywood at all i think that was a very underwhelming quentin tarantino film with arguably the two best actors in hollywood and leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt in that film and then of course margot robbie playing uh, the role of sharon tate in that film Film. Uh, I just thought that uh, De Niro and Pacino and Joe Pesci, it was just a phenomenal CGI'd uh, movie. And again, CGI still got a long way to go, but the, the way that they de-aged those three men, again, in their late 70s, phenomenal film by Martin Scorsese. Might even be one of his best. Might, might be his best. We'll see if that's going to be the movie of the year at the Oscars. Only time will tell, but Ford v. Ferrari still out in theaters now. One of the best movies of this year. Matt Damon, Christian Bale. Uh, go check it out now. Uh, that's my review. That's my take on what happened. Uh, again, this is The O Show, episode 119, presented by Belly Up Sports. Be bold, stand out. Make sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Instagram and Twitter at Belly Up Sports and at Belly Up Podcast Network. We're sponsored by TickPick. I've told you throughout the episode. Go get your $10 off using the promo code OSHO10. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-10. $10 off your next order using TickPick.com. And get $20 off your next order at MeccaNutritionStore.com or at Mecca Nutrition Store in Bakersfield, California by using the promo code OSHO20. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20 for $20 off your next order at Mecca Nutrition. Mecca Nutrition, build a better you. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.